What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Going Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. There was a lot to get to today, kind of surprisingly. At first, I wasn't really sure how I was going to be able to fill out an entire show, just planning to talk about a little bit of basketball and the outlook after the weekend and maybe a bit of football preview going into spring. And then uh, an absolute whirlwind of news hit in the past 24 hours, so... It's safe to say that we have a jam-packed show coming your way. We're going to touch on the coaching hire at Oregon, um, an unfortunate player dismissal, and a bit of basketball in the end. It should be a fun one. Let's get into it. about 12.45 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, let's start with the most fresh story on everyone's mind. It's an unfortunate one. Uh, wide receiver Treshawn Holden was dismissed from the program this morning. He got arrested early on Wednesday morning for unlawful possession of a weapon and menacing. Um, it's, it's just kind of you know, it's it's one of those stories that we don't like to to talk about. We don't like to hear because it's it's a tough one for the program. But you know, it's it's not absolutely unheard of in college football, unfortunately. But you know, it's a a good sized loss for the Ducks because while Treshawn had not played any snaps for the Ducks this year, uh, I mean, obviously he came in as a transfer from Alabama in December. Uh, he projected to be one of the starters for Oregon. He projected to be. Probably that starting X wide receiver to take over for Chase Cota, um, and he's he's no longer on the team, which I think that um, I think that's absolutely the right call. We're going to get into that a little bit from from Dan Lanning's statement, but um, I don't think there's any other way to say that this was it's a loss for Oregon. I mean, I, I thought that he was going to be one of the most impactful players for Oregon on on offense this season, uh, as far as transfers go, at least. He came uh, to the Ducks from Alabama. He played 21 games down in Alabama, had 46 catches for 570 yards and seven touchdowns. Like I said, I thought that he was probably going to slot in next to Troy Franklin and and Chris Hudson, possibly, as that ex-wide receiver. Um, And I I thought that he was going to be a a nice, solid piece. But So where does Oregon go from here? Um, You can assume that they're probably going to hit the transfer portal. Um, I think that they would really benefit from another veteran wide receiver. I know they've got a ton of receiver talent on the steps chart. I mean, you've got incoming guys like Jorion Dickey and Ashton Cozart. You've got uh, guys going into their their second year with the program and Kyler Casper and Justice Lowe. You've got Tez Johnson, who also came from the transfer portal. Of course, I don't need to mention Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson again. Um, there's a lot of a lot of talent on this roster, but a lot of it is unproven, as we've said before. And so, while Oregon can feel really good about those guys that they have catching passes, I think that they'd feel a lot more. I think they'd feel a lot safer if they have someone who has proven on the college stage that he can play, you know, at this level. And Treshawn was that guy. So unfortunately, when you lose him, you got to replace him with something and something that you feel confident, you know, can actually go out there and produce. Before Oregon hits the transfer portal, I think that the first move for for Dan Lanning and Junior Adams and this coaching staff is to really, you know, have a real talk with the players on that roster and get some buy-in from, you know, from the receivers on that roster because they need to be telling them that, hey, 
a, a spot just opened up. There are there is a good portion of the target share that Treshawn had that is now up for grabs. And I think that going into spring ball, this is going to be a major kind of storyline to look at. Who's going to step up next to Troy Franklin and Hudson? Who's going to try and, and get a bigger share of this offensive target share? And, you know, how can they get the most out of their players on the roster currently and say, hey, we don't we don't want to bring someone in from the transfer portal. We know that we have this talent on this team. We want one of you guys to be our biggest production. I think that would be the, the best case scenario if, if Oregon could find one of these guys in spring football that are on the current roster that says, hey, I'm comfortable saying that he's going to be a major part of the offense going forward. So let's talk about the transfer portal. There are a number of guys available right now. That number of wide receivers in the portal will grow undoubtedly after spring ball. As I said earlier, there's across the nation. I mean, there are going to be players that play in spring practice and play in spring ball and see where they are on the depth chart. And a lot of them are probably going to pick up and leave once they, you know, see they may be lower on the depth chart than they would have hoped. And they may be looking for a new place to land and a new, a new team to play for. I have a piece out right now on on Duckswire that's, you know, a dozen transfer portal players, transfer portal receivers, I should say, that could make sense for the Ducks. I mean, I went through the the available transfer portal players and there's some interesting names out there. I was, you know, at this point in the season, most really high-end good available players have picked a new team and have signed somewhere and actually already enrolled in and getting ready for spring football, but there's still some guys out there who I would be, you know, I think Oregon fans would be excited if they came to Eugene. One of them I'll start with is USC's Gary Bryant Jr. Um, he's a solid player with the Trojans. He knows the Pac-12 well, obviously. He has 57 catches for 645 yards and seven touchdowns in his career. He's a good-sized wide receiver. I think he's someone who probably the Ducks make a call to and see if he can come up to Eugene and kind of fill that spot. Another one is Georgia's Dominic Blaylock. I know that a lot of Oregon fans hear Georgia, and you immediately think of that connection with Dan Lanning and the fact that, you know, they've been on the same roster before. They've won a championship together before. Uh, Blaylock is another guy. He's got really good size on him. He's got 35 catches, 548 yards, and six touchdowns in his career. Um, he's someone, I don't think he really reached his ceiling at Georgia because it's a pretty stacked wide receiver room down there, but... He kind of fits that mold of a veteran guy. I think he's got one, maybe two years of eligibility left. I can't remember. But someone who could really come up to Eugene and and have a great final year like Chase Cota did and maybe up that draft stock if possible or just finish out his career in a a great way. So um, that's another one I'm looking at. The final one that I'll get to today is Arkansas's Warren Thompson. Um, Another guy, he kind of fits the ex-receiver mold, really good size. 42 career catches, 577 yards, and five touchdowns. He's played at both Arkansas and Florida State. Um, you know, he, he hit the transfer portal once before and, and did it again after after a couple seasons at Arkansas. But I think he's a, another guy that I at least would, would have my eye on. Um, as I said before, I expect more names to enter the portal after spring once the window opens up in May. Um, there's going to be more guys to, to keep an eye on and more names to know, but... At the moment, if you want to go check out that full list on Duckswire, I've got 12. I think there's actually 13 guys on the list that I'd be keeping an eye on. Those are three that really stood out to me, though. Um, but as we yeah, as we go forward, I think that it's imperative that Oregon probably add one more wide receiver to this room. 
Um, if they don't, you're really running the risk of, yeah, you could find someone on the current depth chart that steps up and can be a starter for you. I just I hesitate to say I know who that will be right now because there's so many... So much unproven talent on that roster right now. And while I feel confident that a lot of those guys are going to have great careers at Oregon, you know, it may be asking a lot for one of them to step up and be a, an absolute difference maker in year one or year two, like we thought the Treshawn would have been. There's one more important thing to note on this, and it's just that I was really impressed by the way that Dan Lanning and the Oregon staff have handled this situation so far. I mean, it's it all was happening quickly. I think the initial news broke this morning around probably around 1030 or so. Um, and right, I mean, shout out to on three is Jared Denny, a, a good friend of mine, a coworker of mine. He had the great scoop on this. He got a got a comment from Dan Lanning and a statement from from Oregon about what happened. But um, I was just kind of impressed with how Lanning and this, the program handled the whole situation by they immediately dismissed Treshawn. I mean, we've seen in the past a lot of coaching staffs or coaches will come out and say, that, hey, we are aware of the situation and we will look into it. That wasn't the case here. I mean, immediately following the news, I mean, actually with the news, Jared had the, the statement from Lanning that said this, we are aware of the incident involving Treshawn Holden and he has been dismissed from our team. We have high standards for the student-athletes, coaches, and staff in our football program, and we are disappointed when these standards are not met. We will continue to hold everyone in our program accountable for meeting our expectations. I, you know, it means a lot that I think Treshawn was dismissed right away. It, that tells me that either Lanning and his staff know, you know, the severity of what took place on Wednesday night, or, I mean, Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, or they're just saying that, hey, if you are at in any way involved with this sort of thing or kind of in the proximity of this type of you know illegal activity, you have no place on our football team. And I think in the end, it's probably a little bit of both. I think they may have a good idea of what happened. And on top of that, they're saying, hey, this we're just not tolerating any type of this behavior. Um, I think that speaks to how Landing wants to run this program. I mean, I think that he's... He's really setting an example early on, just saying that, hey, this is not not how we operate. This is not how we our players are going to be viewed in the community. We don't tolerate this type of action. So um, I know that's a small thing in the grand scheme of it all, but I was impressed that you know they were quick and very forthright, and they you know it it all happened very quickly, and there was no. No period of time for us to wonder what was going to happen with, with Treshawn after all of this. I mean, it was just immediately, nope, he's off the team. He did this. We are moving on with the players who we have. So um, that that definitely impressed me. All right, let's talk about something that's a little bit more positive for the Ducks. On Tuesday afternoon, they announced the hiring of Alik Terry as the new offensive line coach. He will come to Eugene and take over for Adrian Klim, who left for a, a coaching job on the New England Patriots staff. Uh, I think this is a really encouraging hire and something that, that Oregon fans should be pretty excited about. Terry obviously is very familiar with Eugene. He was a graduate assistant on Mario Cristobal's staff in 2019, um, working primarily with the offensive line, so he knows the program well. He knows, you know, Eugene is nothing new to him. He knows what Autzen's like. He knows what the, the Duck faithful and what what the, the Duck fan base is like. And he knows a lot of players... 
you know, some that are currently on the roster, and he knows a lot of former players as well and some of the coaching staff. So after his time in Eugene in 2019, he left to take the offensive line coaching job at Hawaii. Um, after, I believe it was a year there, Dan tried to hire, Dan Lanning tried to hire him back in Eugene um, to, to come in as an offensive analyst, but he ended up going to Minnesota to take the assistant defensive line coaching job with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, that's where he's been until, until Dan brought him to back to Eugene this year. I know it's a little bit interesting that, you know, your, your offensive line coach, his last job was coaching the defensive line. I don't think that's anything to, you know, think twice about. I mean, this guy played offensive line at Wake Forest in college. Um, he's worked with offensive line through most of his career and then got an assistant job with the defensive line in the NFL and, and he took it. Um, but I think that this is this is a really encouraging return. And there was a big outpouring of support from current and former Duck players yesterday when they made the announcement. It was kind of cool the way that, that Oregon announced this. Usually when you get coaching hires, you see the news get leaked by a reporter or someone in the industry. Um, but this was, you know, this was Oregon controlling the narrative the whole way out. And they, they had a few offensive linemen and a few players kind of hinting at a big announcement to come at 1 p.m. on Tuesday. And then they rolled out, you know, several graphics with quotes from guys like Pene Sewell and Calvin Throckmorton and Shane Lemieux and Jake Hansen, um, all just kind of raving about Alik Terry and the person that he is and the coach that he is and how excited they are that he's coming back to Eugene. I think it was that was a, a cool way to build the narrative around him and really build up excitement in the fan base because... Without that, I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from Malik Terry, but he was one of the lesser names on the list of potential candidates that had been kind of conjured up by myself and other media members across the past couple of weeks. I think that this did a really good job, though, of of building him up and making sure that the fan base really bought in and could be excited about him. Um, and I think it's true. I mean, I I think I don't think that's propaganda or anything. I think that Duck fans should be excited about what's to come. I think he's going to be a really good coach. What's great about this hire is that it's I think it's really good and really impactful because it gets current Oregon players to buy in. I think that a lot of guys on that roster right now that probably were pretty disappointed after Adrian Clem left. And rightfully so. I mean, Clem leaving was a big deal. He's a great coach, had great relationships with all of his players. Um, him leaving was, you know, that was definitely a blow. I, I'd be understandable if a lot of players were frustrated by that. But this new hire, I think that you have a lot of players that see this now and and at the very least are willing to give him spring ball and to, to buy into what he's selling and, and have him coach them for a little bit. He's got the track record. He's been at great places. He was most recently in the NFL. And he's someone who, who really has a reputation for building relationships with players as well. So I think it's really good if there was any any guys on the roster that were maybe a little bit down about the loss of Clem. I think the the outcrying of support and the you know the buzz that has generated from this hire is gonna do really well to to get those players back bought in and um they'll they'll go through spring ball with him and, and see what he has to offer. I think this is also really good for recruiting. As I mentioned, uh, Terry is someone who is known for having really strong relationships with players. He's a, a huge locker room guy that players really love to be around and love to play with. And he also has strong ties in Florida, which, as we all know, is a recruiting hotbed and something that 
Adrian Clem was doing a really good job of when he was at Oregon, trying to recruit down in the South and down in Florida and get some of that talent across the country all the way up to Eugene. So I think that's something that will probably continue with Terry. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do on the recruiting front because this is another another coach that goes along with the mold of what Lanning is bringing to Eugene. I mean, he's he's another young, up-and-coming guy that, no, he's not maybe as established as some of the other coaches. He's not as established as Clem was, but I think that when you look at Dan Lanning's track records of hires, uh, this this makes sense because it's someone who has ties to Eugene, is young, up-and-coming, strong recruiter, and I think that he's getting him for two to three to four years. I don't think this is a guy that we're going to turn around next spring and be looking for another offensive line coach because I think Alik Terry is going to need probably two to three years until he gets that that huge next job. I don't know where that job is. Maybe it's an offensive line coach at a an NFL team or something like that. But I just think it's a another really strong hire by Dan Lanning, and obviously we'll see how good of a hire it is once the the – team gets on the field and once the players start playing because there's a lot of talent on that offensive line for Oregon. I know they're they're losing four of the five starters from last year, but um, there's still a lot of talent there. You got some really good transfers, some really good recruits. Obviously, Josh Connerly is coming back, Johnny Cornelius. Um, there's, there's a lot of guys to mold, and he's definitely not walking into a bear cupboard trying to get it back to, to what we saw Oregon be last year. So, um, I think Terry's in a great position. I think the offensive line is in a really good position having someone in there that can help mold them and who knows what he's doing. So we're going to see in, in spring ball exactly what he can do, but I'm pretty encouraged by this hire because it seems to have a lot of positive momentum behind it. And as I've said before, I mean, until Dan Lanning makes a hire that we are all out on and that proves not to be really impressive and, and really positive for this team, I'm going to trust him. If he wanted Terry, if you think that if he thinks that Terry was the right man for the job, I have absolutely no reason to doubt it. All right, let's talk some basketball. I was unsure how I wanted to divide this up because the Ducks play tonight. Like I said, I'm currently recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Oregon plays up at Washington tonight. I believe that tip is at 8 p.m. And they will have played that game by the time you're hearing this. So, but I wanted to get out the podcast uh, early on Thursday morning, so I think I'm going to come back on and record after the game tonight to do a quick recap of what happened and see if there's any any major takeaways from that game. But let's take an overall look at how things stand at the current moment. It was a pretty encouraging weekend. The Ducks got a, a split against USC and UCLA. It looked for you know the first half on Saturday like the Ducks were going to get a big, big upset over UCLA. They had a really strong first half. They went into the half leading. And then things kind of just fizzled out a little bit in the second half. They got out-rebounded. They got outplayed and kind of out-hustled in that second half, which was a little bit frustrating to watch. But overall, I'm still encouraged by what we saw. I mean, it, as I stated on Saturday, winning against UCLA was not... You know, it wasn't imperative. It was not a must-win game. It would have been very nice. It would have given the Ducks, you know, a decent amount of wiggle room and and had it be so they were probably locked into one of those uh, NCAA tournament spots. But, you know, it, it didn't end up coming to fruition, and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I think they still they showed a lot in that game. They played very well. Um, so where do things stand now? 
at the moment, the Ducks are currently on the NCAA tournament bubble. They are, I think, Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology had them uh, listed as one of the first four out, so they are just on the outside looking in. But they've got five games remaining uh, in all very, very winnable games. Uh, you play Washington tonight. You've got Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. Those are five of the, the lower-ranked teams in the conference right now and five games that that not only are winnable, but are must-win games if Oregon wants to get into the tournament. If you lose any of those games, I think that your tournament hopes likely fade away and you're kind of destined for another year of the NIT. Even if the Ducks go 5-0 and in those games, it's still not a guarantee that they get into the tournament. Um, I think that they would probably get on the right side of the bubble. I hesitate to say that because... You know, you get into all the the Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2, Quadrant 3, Quadrant 4 games. Maybe Oregon has enough to to up their resume, maybe not. And there's things can still move as the turn as the end of the regular season comes, but I think that if you go 5 and 0 in those games, you probably should get in. That's assuming that they don't, you know, completely flop in the Pac-12 tournament either cuz that matters a lot. Um, if Oregon can go 5-0 and and win, you know, maybe a game or two in the Pac-12 tournament, I think they're probably playing in the NCAA tournament. But if not, it's going to get a little tough to get in, and I'm not sure that they'll do it. I'm pretty encouraged because we've continued to see great play from Infali Dante. I've been really impressed by what we've seen from Kalel Ware. I know I was down on him a couple of weeks ago. We didn't really see the hustle out of him, the buy-in from him, but... You know, the past couple of games, that's really turned around. I don't, that hustle does not seem to be an issue. And while he can still, there's still a lot for him to improve on, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, it feels like right now he's got, he's good for a, a couple of big alley-oops per game, maybe a block or two and some decent defense. But outside of that, you know, he's he's still struggling a little bit with his post game, his footwork. He's, he's still kind of relying on this turnaround fade that, you know, every time I see it go up, I I immediately turn to Dane Altman to see what he's going to react like on the bench, and uh, it is not disappointed yet because usually it's good for a, a slam on the scores table. But um, again, this all still just depends on what you get from Will Richardson and Jermaine Kusnard and Keyshawn Bartholomew, uh, what their scoring output is going to be like each night because they're like I've said before, this team is just so inconsistent that. Some nights it'll be a great game, and you're going to get, you know, 15-plus points from one of those guys, maybe even 20-plus points, but other nights you're you're not going to get anything from them, and those are the nights when Oregon really struggles. Those are the nights when you have to have a huge game from Dante or from Nate Biddle or from someone like Quincy Garrier. Um, it's just, it's kind of crazy that we're at this point in the season. You still, you still enter each game wondering which team you're going to get and who you're actually going to see show up on the floor for the Ducks. I think Oregon should be able to close out their regular season strong. Like I said, I think that, you know, that 5-0 and mark that they need is within reach. I mean, if you see how good this team can be, then they should have zero problem going, uh, you know, on the road for, I believe it's three of three of those five games. It could be two of those five games. I need to check. Um, but I, I'm also very aware of the fact that they could flop at any minute. And I, I can't say that I would be completely surprised if Oregon loses one of these five games because, you know, we've seen it before. We've seen them lose to Stanford. We've seen them lose to Oregon State. It's just, it's something that happens with this team sometimes. I, I really hope I'm wrong because 
this is a team I want to see this team in the tournament obviously not just as someone who covers the team or someone who grew up as an Oregon fan I just want to see this roster go into the tournament because you know we've seen them at their best and when they're playing at their best they can beat the Arizonas they can beat the UCLA's they can play with some of these top teams um, it's just, and I think that if they get going in the tournament, they could actually make a, a decent run if they're playing well. Um, it's just, it's just hard to guess kind of which team is going to show up. All right, let's take a quick break and I will be back with the post game info from Wednesday night's game against Washington. Well, sometimes you make uh, promises on a podcast that you wished you didn't have to hold up. As a lot of you know, Oregon played at 8 p.m. tonight. They were scheduled to play at 8 p.m. tonight. And, of course, the 40-minute delay because of a broken basket up in Seattle, Washington. Delayed tip until about 8.40. And then, as luck would have it, that game ended up going into overtime as well. So it is just 11 o'clock right now on Wednesday night. And the Ducks lost. Uh, Ducks lost an overtime game 72-71 to to Washington. And... There went Oregon's NCAA tournament at-large bid hopes. Um, There is still a chance the Ducks can get into the tournament if they win the Pac-12 tournament. When you've got teams like Arizona and UCLA and, I mean, USC and Utah and Arizona State and all these other teams, I mean, the Pac-12 is so deep right now. That seems like a huge ask for Oregon to, you know, to make a run down in Las Vegas and be able to to get into the tournament that way. So by all means, this kind of feels like the end of Oregon's season in a sense, because yes, there's four regular season games left. There's still the NIT left. If we want to go to it, um, I shouldn't say if we want to go to it. I mean, if, if Oregon decides to get up for it and I'm sure that Dane Altman will, will get his guys up for that. He did so last year too, but um, there's no, there's no other way around it. This is, this is disappointing because Oregon had this game. Um, they they really played decently well. I know there's there's a lot of things to nitpick, and um, there's certain players that, that didn't really show up. I mean, a lot of people are going to talk about Will Richardson first off. He was held scoreless for, I believe, the, the ninth time in his career is a stat that James Krepia had the third time against Washington. He was 0 for 3 from the field for field goals. He missed a game-winning layup that uh, with, I think, about five seconds left on the clock. So um, it was frustrating. And I think what was most frustrating about it is that the Ducks had multiple chances to put this game away. I mean, they were up, uh, I believe it was, yeah, they were up 50 to 42 midway through the second half. I mean, eight-point lead. And from then on, over the next few minutes, they went one for nine shooting. and They they missed so many shots and so many little second-chance layups and stuff like that. And they let Washington right back into the game just like that when they had a, <clears throat> excuse me, they had an easy chance to put this thing away. And again, with, with two and a half minutes left on the clock, they were up five with the ball. And they had a chance to, you know, at least put it close to double digits and make it really, really hard on Washington. But instead it went the other way and they missed more shots and they were unable to close it out. So um, that's what that's what I think makes this loss so tough is that it really feels like a game that should not have been so difficult. I mean, uh, you got to give credit to Washington. They played really well. They had a couple of players just really outstanding play. But 
Oregon had 18 offensive rebounds in this game and 13 second chance points, and they won the rebounding battle. And, you know, they got really good scoring from Jermaine Cousnard and from Quincy Garrier. They got a great game from Enfali Dante. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, let me go through these stats. Enfali Dante had 19 points and 13 rebounds. Jermaine Cousnard had 18 points and 5 rebounds. Biddle, 11 points, 7 rebounds. Garrier, 13 points, 4 rebounds. He was 3 for 3 from deep. And those are those are the type of stats you get in an Oregon win. And I even with Will's, you know, I don't want to call it a no show of a game because he did do some good things. I mean he he wasn't being asked to score in this game like he would in others. He was Washington ran a they were running a zone defense the whole game and he was being asked to get in the middle of it and facilitate and make passes to the right people and he did a good job of that. I mean Look at I mean look at the stats I just read off. I mean, Will was a contributor in a lot of those buckets and a lot of those points. I know only five assists, but he he really distributed well and made a, a lot of the right reads and passes. It just uh it didn't end up happening. It didn't end up working for for the Ducks and I know it was a really tough loss in the end, but um you know, I know I was on this podcast earlier saying I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped one of these games. We said that they needed to win five of them to to get into the tournament, and I thought that it was possible, but I thought it was very possible they lost one as well. And, you know, <laughs> they lost one pretty quickly in those five games. So um, where do you go from here? I don't know. You got a few days until Sunday's game against Washington State. Turn around Oregon State next week. Cal Stanford to finish it out, but you know, until the Pac-12 tournament, I don't feel like there's too much to play for because you're not getting into the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid. You kind of just kind of to hope that they can make a run in in Las Vegas in March in the Pac-12 tournament and, and see if you can get to March Madness that way. But um, I don't know. It was a late one. It was a, a bit of a strange game because it was so back and forth and. Like I said, really, really well played in certain areas, really frustrating in other areas. But isn't that kind of the story of this season for the Ducks? I mean, I think that we've we've kind of had that same feeling throughout most of the year, and you wonder where some of the some of the players are going to show up and when they're not going to. And you know, I again, I don't want to be too hard on Will Richardson because he he did certain things well tonight. But this is also a game when your season on the line, you kind of want your veteran most point guard and the leader of your team to show up and, you know, do a little bit of scoring and kind of put the team on his back a little bit. And that certainly didn't happen. So um, I I feel bad for Will because I know that he's going to get absolutely crushed for this game. And it's not all on him. There was, there was a ton of people that contributed to this loss. But, you know, he's the leader of this team and he had a – a subpar game at one of the worst times of the season. So uh, that's a tough one. And he's going to have to wear that going forward. So um, yeah, I think I'm going to sign off for the night. Thank you guys for listening to this. Um, let's close it out. All right. That's going to do it for us today on an information heavy episode. I will be back probably the middle of next week. I am working on bringing JD Pluid and Shane Potter, my good friends from the flock podcast. We're going to have, uh, we're going to try and have them on. And I th- I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do yet. I've got a few ideas of, 
of what I want to do with them. But we're definitely going to have some fun, have some uh, some fun topics and gimmicks as we talk about football and basketball, likely looking ahead to, to spring football for Oregon. So stay tuned for that. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at www.duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. (laughs) 